0: Welcome to Tesserai. Thank you so much for joining us as we attempt to explore the integrated Christian walk in light of the way that has been dismantled.
1: Over the past two episodes, uh, we had a conversation with Dr. Andy Abernathy about the prophetic voice, particularly as it shows up in the Old Testament. We had a great time, great conversation, learning a bit about what uh, prophecy was, how it functioned in the biblical and social context, and then trying to draw some lines to our own experience. In this episode, we're aiming to talk a bit more about the prophetic voice, but to contemporize it a bit, to think about how it's used um, in contemporary evangelicalism, if it should be used. what 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 are the risks of uh, the prophetic voice or even of not having a prophetic voice? So we're looking forward to this conversation. We're glad to welcome back. Welcome back, Dr. Andy Abernathy. Thank you so much for joining us again,
2: yeah, great to be on uh, with you, guys.
1: Well, let's uh, maybe start at kind of a high level here. Um, How has the prophetic voice functioned in American evangelicalism or in American Christianity um, over, I don't know, the past couple hundred years? So Steve, why don't you solve that question for us? A helpful resource for me
0: Has been a book that we talked about earlier on this podcast called "The Divided Mind of the Black Church" by Dr. Raphael Warnock, and that's when I think about prophecy in uniquely in the United States of America uh, from a church standpoint. That's been a helpful resource, and that has that is how I look at the Black Church. Of course, it's nuanced like any church is. It is not a monolith, but I think that it has had to have a very due, due to all of these experiences that we've touched on, whether it be. Big markers like segregation um, or the Jim Crow era or slavery, um, black codes, all of these different all these different uh, atrocities and justices that have that have well that have been well documented that have faced black people broadly in the U.S. The church has played the role of staying faithful in much of the theology uh, in much of uh, how how it looked and much of how it sounded, um, but the actual practical aspect of it felt very different. It's saying that making the same arguments, making the same points that yes, Jesus is God and because Jesus is God and because uh, Jesus is impartial um, and because Jesus died for our sins, justice is a part of the Christian walk. And what you're doing is antithetical to this idea about justice. So it seems pretty obvious in some ways. And uh, I've loved all these conversations that we've had on it. But Warnock unlocks that and that miracle of the of the black church holding fast to the true faith in the midst of all of these things uh, is really beautiful imagery for me. So when I think about prophecy uniquely in this American context, again, it has to do with so you say this, but your actions don't match up with it. You claim this. And that's pretty tricky because it feels like um, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, uh, Dr. Abernathy. But it feels like sometimes in the Old Testament, when when prophets are speaking to something, it, it sometimes feels a bit more, maybe more blatant. Uh, and. I don't know, it, it seems a little bit different sometimes where you're like, well, you're saying the, the, the correct things. Well, I guess your theology seems to be straight, but your actions are so clearly wrong. So now you need this voice to, to correct your course.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Steve, I, I, I'm going to follow up with a question to you here in a bit, but you know, if you even look at like the mode of how the prophets spoke, they were using all sorts of metaphors. Like for instance, in the opening chapter of Isaiah, you know, you, you have the prophet, like calling them disobedient children and even calling them whores. Now they wouldn't have gone around viewing themselves like that. But it's like that metaphorical language like helps speak to people who may think they're right or at least saying the right thing into kind of viewing their situation, you know in a better way from, from God's perspective. I, I remember when I was first starting my to teach, my mentor, Dr. Van Gemen said, "So how's teaching going? you know And I came in and I'm like, oh, it's going great, except yesterday. These students were just like so tired. They weren't engaged and blah, blah, blah. And Van Gemmeren says to me, Andy, stop treating your students like a whore. And I'm like, what? (laughs) What? I never thought of it that way. And then he went on to say, if you're only in it for what you can get out of them, you're using them that's not yeah. what teaching's all about, you know, and, and that's a lot of what the prophets were doing. Cause, cause I think you're right, Stephen. you know, there's that sense of like, you know, in America we can rattle off the right words or, or theology, but maybe be blinded to other aspects of lived practice that the prophets can, can call to mind. Um, you know, Stephen, I, I, just a question back for, to you, like, I'd love to hear f- from you, like, what are some of those, like, really compelling moments where, where you look back, you know, maybe it's from uh, the book you mentioned, The Divided Mind of the Black Church, where, where like, the black voice was able to break through, you know, because sometimes it's like hard, you know, you could have a prophetic voice out there, but but is it like registering right Mm -hmm. you know like like when the black church has felt her its prophetic voice has felt heard anything come to mind
0: that is a great question i i think maybe the most obvious one would be uh the 60s with the civil rights movement right yeah um and, and it's hard because it feels like the answer gets convoluted just because a policy changes, like just because the National Guard shows up to integrate a school, for instance, in the South, um, just because the president is now involved. Um, now LBJ is involved and he's listening to Dr. King reluctantly uh, and making changes. Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that the, the soul of America is being changed. So it yeah. seems that and and I I would think that Dr. Warnock and many other scholars would disagree that that's even happening. But I would say that if it has happened when the churches, the black churches felt like it's been heard in America, it has been uh, it has been a multifaceted attack. It has been a multi-front attack. It has it has automatically been political. It has automatically been theological. That's sort of what we Mm. see, you know, with Dr. King, for sure. We call him Dr. King, you know, because he's a doctor, you know, right. But. He had a Ph.D. But uh, as a minister first, you know, being being a pastor at Ebenezer Baptist Church and having um, that role, a black church to even come back and preach to. He was preaching to his yeah. own congregation, his own church, while he was a part of this movement, while he was helping to lead this movement. And so. What what does herd mean <laughs> is a maybe even more of a follow up question. But I would think yeah. during that period when actually schools are now being integrated, when suddenly you're seeing uh, some of these racist uh, policies being being changed. We don't necessarily okay. feel like hearts are changing, though. And that's the hard part because it's like,
2: yeah,
0: I don't know, the people who got forced to all of a sudden have their kids go to school with black kids did they, the laws were changing. So they were like, Hey, you know what? I need to rethink this whole thing. Maybe we really should be going to school together. I got it wrong. No, it's probably like, no, the government made me do it, you know? Yeah. Um, so I don't know how much that makes sense, but that, that, yeah. that's a hard question to answer.
2: Yeah. 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 That heart, heart transformation is man. That that's hard. The prophet saw that. I mean, you see, these prophets were, were, people were regularly not listening to them, what they had to say, mm-hmm. um, you know? So it I'd be, maybe you guys have some thoughts on this, but like the, as we mentioned in a previous episode, you know, the prophetic word has this element of hope to it, but also critique. And like, I wonder if like, I'd be curious, I haven't read the divided mind of the black church, but when we think of the prophetic role of the black church, it, it's kind of one way to view it as how that kind of external focus of speaking to kind of the racist policies but maybe one of the a big role of the black church's prophetic voice was providing hope for african americans themselves um mm-hmm. to endure and uh ponder you, you know a better day and how uh the prophetic voice enabled that you know
0: yeah it, it, it seems to strengthen faith a bit for the internal conversation. You know, if you're talking, if you're a black minister, if you're talking to the black church, uh, it's just a theory. But I, I would think I, I, I guess I should say I, I would wonder if there's a connection between that and this uh, uh, like black fundamentalism that we even that we still see, of course, today, but that we've seen historically where you didn't have hope for. And I think we talked about this in a previous episode, but you didn't have hope for policies changing or for equality, you didn't have hope that those things were going to be fixed in this lifetime because of how bleak things could look and hmm. and, and be. And so you focus your eyes on Jesus, uh, hmm. meaning eternally, not Jesus yep. like just like in the well, temporally, I'm looking for improvements too. it was like, no, that we're not going to get that, you know, and so just hold fast. Life is hard, but Jesus is coming back. Life is hard, but I'm going to be with him forever, you know?
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So it does have a hope piece, but the hope is probably not as much tethered to the temporal as it is the
2: eternal. Yeah. Gotcha.
1: There's another interesting piece to this because the prophetic role of the black church in particular, um, in in many ways uh, was situated in a power imbalance, right? Like you had um, an explicitly racist society wherein black folks were treated as, um, as substandard, in many cases as subhuman. And so the prophetic voice was a way of calling out and saying that's not the way the God of the Bible works. That's not cons- how you live consistent with scripture. Um, in, in, in Old Testament uh, prophetic literature, at least, you... You see this dynamic played out where power imbalances are critiqued and are um, uh, exposed as a a heart problem, as a worship problem, as a theological problem in practice. Um, But are the prophets themselves usually situated in those situations? Are they usually the kind of... beneficiaries of those oppressions or not the beneficiaries, but are they experiencing those oppressions to the same degree that perhaps like the black church would have?
2: Mm, that's a, that's a great question. You know, it, there's been these sociological studies of the prophets and they tend to focus on um, prophets. Uh, the, the, what we see is the norm for the prophets, namely they're outsiders to the power system. You see Jeremiah, like, Man, you read Jeremiah, and he—wow—he was mistreated, he was abused, he was ridiculed, he was thrown thrown in prison for for speaking the word of God. Um, so you do see—you definitely don't see Jeremiah in that way as a beneficiary of the establishment, but somehow he had access to the king. Mm-hmm. Somehow he had an ability to get his voice heard in front of the king. So God just providentially allows this prophet from Anathoth, which is his backwash town and Benjamin to all of a sudden have this voice where it's like, uh, oh, we got to deal with this Jeremiah guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and um, Amos comes from the South of, of small town of Tekoa and has to go up to the North. There was really rich, oppressive Kings and, is calling them to account for all their luxury and, and oppression, but you know, you see Elijah, Elisha. A lot of these prophets are are on the margins, um, and I think that's kind of the norm for prophecy. Is, is like those who are in the socially disadvantaged tend to be the ones rising up and having the voice, but that doesn't fit all of what we have in the Bible. Isaiah seems to have been a a a regular in the king's courts Hmm. um isaiah seems to have access when when the when um hezekiah runs into some trouble he sends for isaiah hey have isaiah pray for us isaiah is bringing words of encouragement to hezekiah you know so so it's um it's interesting how god can even be using um those who are kind of in power or at least closely affiliated or in good standing with some of those in power to still bring the prophetic word.
1: And I, I think thinking about power dynamics and, um, you know, relative cultural power is useful uh, as we think about what it means to have a prophetic voice, particularly because I do think those who are in relative power um uh, are feel less pressure to um, have that self-critical and outward critical um, uh, voice, right? It's, it, why, why go through the pain of that to disrupt the status quo? Um, I mean, I, I saw this in some research I did of uh, a fundamentalist association and traced through how they talked about racism through the 30s up to the present, And, um, you know, the hoping, are they addressing these social evils? Are they addressing these structural problems? And, you know, what I found in, and I think this conservative, mainly white um, association, Baptist association, uh, in some ways was a microcosm of a lot of evangelicalism. What I found was they were happy to talk about communism. They were happy to talk about abortion um, about sexual morality, uh, but talking about racial injustice or civil rights, during the civil rights area, talking about uh, systemic solutions to poverty, um, those were often uh, either avoided or seen as, you know, liberal. And uh, Marsden in his book, Fundamentalism in American Culture kind of traces through you know, there's a whole bunch of reasons, and um, the, the fundamentalist reaction to modernism and the social gospel, and, and all of that. But it's it's interesting that when we are invested in a society or a culture, and we are beneficiaries of the structures of of that culture, we are beneficiaries of um, uh, as as kind of dominant partners in that culture. It's much harder to criticize. Uh, you know because because it feels like you're going to off the branch you're sitting on <laughs> so to speak so you know i think it's encouraging yeah. to look at someone like isaiah yeah. who probably benefited to a degree uh from society and yet was motivated by the truth of god um that propelled him forward
2: mm-hmm. yeah yeah and it, it's that vision of the holy one of israel it's like God sees, he sees God high and lifted up. And all of a sudden he's like, woe is me. Woe are, are, are my people. We're all of unclean lips. And it's that vision. It's how God himself can transform, um, you know, even people empowered it to, to see. And, um, you know, Steve, I, you know, you, I'd love to hear you chime in on this. I mean, you're, obviously raised uh, your parents are ministers were ministers right yeah my dad's pastor and you've also been attended and been a part of some strong white institutions you know and and um you know how it can sometimes be hard for race to be brought up and, and discussed you know in these um majority um culture contexts what, what what yeah, what mm-hmm. what's your read on that?
0: Yeah, it's been hard. It, it it definitely resulted in it's probably part of why this podcast exists, to be honest, because that's where it was a period of time that has been a part of a time where I didn't feel as integrated. I felt like there was this part of me that was uh, attending this black church that I had grown up in. And then going to this institution and on one side, it's not like we're bringing up race every over the pulpit every Sunday um, by any means. But I think that it's a reality that we were all aware of and we more than willing to talk about. And whether we talked about it in depth or not, there was a feeling like we know, like we know what's happening, you know, uh, whereas it was so segmented. It's been so yeah. I, I've, I've witnessed it be segmented often in these uh predominantly white institutions which which is always tough to come to reckoning with because every time you bring it up then you feel like you're uh whether you're directly accused of it or just nobody has anything to say you feel like you're race baiting or that you're bringing in this notion or you're 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 disrupting peace and but it feels like a, a false notion of peace often and that is definitely not a critique of everyone that i've met um you know uh and everyone that I know and work with and and have come to know and love like at these institutions. But that's been, that's been a big part of it. So it, it it just doesn't feel like there's room for that. And as it's probably our first or second episode when we reflected on our time um, at a predominantly white institution that it, it was like, uh, Jesus does have things to say about a lot of stuff, but not so much here, you know? And And I think that's that's hard. And that's been a you're right. It's kind of that's good imagery, Bob, when you mention like it feels like you're cutting off. If you speak to something, if you critique something that you're a part of feels like you're sawing the branch, sawing the branch that you're sitting on, kind of like, mm -hmm. you know, so the maybe the risk were too high. And that that also makes me wonder how I ought to how I ought to look at historical figures. Some of these times in history, that's that's influenced that a lot, too, where I've been like. They were just I remember a professor just saying like they were products of their time, you know, and talking about church history and holding to certain views or holding slaves. You know, so Jonathan Edwards is always a big name for that. Right. And can you just wipe it off and say that, hey, we all have areas and we're going to want people to be gracious towards us years from now. And I'm like, that doesn't feel like enough. But I'm not particularly interested in bashing Jonathan Edwards. Like, (laughs) you know, but that doesn't feel like enough.
1: But the problem was there was a, there was a lack of prophetic witness in that day. Like it's a problem that they mm-hmm. were men of their time, right? It's a problem that they were allowed to be so enculturated that they didn't question those assumptions. That's, that's the point of yeah. addressing that. Right.
2: Yeah. I mean, it, it's interesting that branch analogy, it's like, do you want to saw the branch that that you're sitting on and it potentially lose power? what if you don't realize the branch you're sitting on, you know, and and that's what you're, (laughs) you're bringing up. And honestly, I've seen that in my life. I mean, you, God had to providentially bring both people and experiences into my life to help me be aware. And so Steve, you're like at these institutions, people aren't, it's not, they're not talking about it, but they, they, but I would have to think you're also thinking these people have no clue like what what the experience is like for, um, you know, an African-American in, in America. Or it, I mean, there's just a blindness to it. And I think, um, you know, by God's grace, there have been different in, you know, friends and experiences that have helped just peel back the layer, but I'm still not fully aware of this, the extent of this branch I'm sitting on, you know? Um, Yeah. So,
0: yeah, that absolutely. And, you know, it's, I feel like I'm pretty, I'm pretty patient at this stage in my life, partially because it would behoove me to do so um, because there are areas in our own lives that when they get brought to light, it's a harsh light you know? So, uh, there's been yeah. times when I, and there are days when I can certainly get more frustrated, particularly with the reality of racism and like, how do you not see it? This feels like a choice at this point, you know? But I think a lot of it is the yeah. individual nature that we encounter too. Um, you know, from maybe, maybe it's a part of like the, the, the struggle, the historical struggle, but also the fact that there's less black people than there are. And we're talking about this really in black and white terms, you know, I want to just want to note that, but like uh, I I grew up thinking collectively, I think pretty much as often I was, I feel like as much as often as I was individually. So, but when we talk about racism, it automatically becomes an implications conversation. So you're saying that we don't get it. And you're saying that this happened to you. I'm, some people feel really bad, which is not my goal. Some people get defensive, which is not my goal. Um, And sharing is trying to get to understand, but then ultimately there's like a fail safe in that, first feeling that 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 I feel like I often encounter where all of a sudden it becomes but I didn't do it or you know or or even Mm. if I'm starting to Mm. see the light in a sense I I, my my family says like not to worry about that so much because we didn't own slaves we just treat people like people you know we're colorblind we just love people there's Mm. always a justification in there and And the primary point is not to be assigning blame, but the the primary point is also not to be uh, absolving yourself. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So I want to, I want to jump on that and something else you said, Um, you talked about the dynamic of disturbing the peace, whether it's a true peace or not. Um, and. You know, as we think about the Old Testament prophets in particular, um, they <laughs> they did some disturbing things, right? Um, they disrupted the status quo by whatever it was, walking around naked or lying on their side or uh, doing all kinds of, of th- or just saying things that were really unpopular. So when we think about the prophetic voice, though, um, is th- obviously the goal is not just to be disruptive, um, but broadening this out beyond conversations about race, um, thinking about uh, engaging uh, politics at a deep ethical level or talking about other systemic injustices like abortion or talking about sexuality or, you know, let's let's broaden the whole scope. We're On the one hand, we know in broaching these subjects, we're going to have to disrupt the peace. We're going to say things that are uncomfortable, but how do we do this in a way that doesn't just make us contrarians? right? We're not just out to like pick a fight and cause there's some, there's some people out there. It seems like that's what they're really into. Like that, that's the goal is just to be jerks. <laughs> and, and so like, how, how do we make sure that we're doing this in a way that's actually constructive?
2: Wow. That, that's a great point. It, this is hard. I'll just give a story i I was preaching recently at a church predominantly white church and the passage talks about justice righteousness and equity Mm -hmm. i wasn't planning to go there i was a (laughs) guest preacher how dare i bring up justice in someone else's pulpit right but it's in the text and i bring up how um the wisdom that god gives will help us to see justice, righteousness, and equity. And these are always referring to a social element of justice for those who are most vulnerable in our society. Um, And a guy came up to me afterwards. He's like, now, let me just tell you, when I hear the word social justice, it's a four-letter word to me. Hmm. (laughs) and i'm and for me and and, but here's the thing i appreciated about him he had his bible opened he's pointing to the verse i was talking about he's saying how did you get that from there
0: Mm.
2: and then we could go to a few other passages in isaiah and kind of as we talked, I, I, I think he, he he came around to some, uh, wanting to hear how, okay, um, society's co-opted what justice means mm-hmm. in certain ways. And we want God to help define and clarify for us what are the issues of justice he cares about, which would certainly include race, but a whole host of other things. Um so if we're thinking internally within the, the, uh, the church, I mean, maybe a constructive way forwards is learning to be honest with those parts of the Bible that we just haven't read. Yeah. That just haven't come up when we're trying to construct theology and just trying to just slowly let that sink in and let who God is be revealed more and more through the full counsel of his word. And You know, I think that's a constructive path forward, even if they're hard. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And and sometimes it's a matter of like how palatable was your message, you know, and and sometimes it can be more or less palatable who it's coming from. You know, I've, I've, I remember going to a couple of churches, predominantly white churches, and talking about, or basically all white churches, and talking about race and uh you know there was a lot of silence and then the people that were willing were like you know oh let's like talk and let's get food afterwards and then there's somebody like stewing in the corner and you're like i actually want (laughs) to be with that person you know (laughs) filling up for it um and sometimes lead to encounters sometimes wouldn't and you know kind of what you do with that encounter will, will you explore will you automatically just dismiss it as it's the social justice it's the people taking it also very quickly i just gotta say that that uh That idea about like this. So society has co-opted what justice means like there's we always have the world is looking for solutions to things. So there is a um, you can call it sort of an internal compass, internal moral compass or whatever. But like outside, it's not just Christians that get mad if something is stolen from them. You know, like yeah. people, so there's this idea about like there's right and there's wrong. You shouldn't do this. You should do that. There are people who disrupt that all the time, but there's always going to be a secular version, if you will, of some of some biblical yeah. reality yeah. or concept. But the thing that bothers me is that sort of complaint to be like, I, I mean, I guess I just own it. I don't see it that way where I'm like the, the world is taking our justice and they're turning it into something. There was a void. <laughs> Can we just be real for a second? Like, if we were really speaking to the the social realities of so many people, like that's not the problem. It's not that they're like, oh, well, we just we just don't like what the church has to say about justice. That's not the only problem. The problem is is that the church has put itself in a position where it needs to be preached to, and you got on, people outside of the church who are preaching to the church. You know, so yeah. that always bothers me. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, it's true. There's a social critique. We got to look at the way the world's going, but
1: we just got to own it, y'all. Like, yeah. <laughs> come on now. <laughs> yeah. 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 And so that raises an interesting question because there is um, both within uh, the community of the, those who have having a prophetic voice and uh, those who are, for example, critical of uh, worldly social justice models. There's a lot of critique, right? Because there is a lot to critique. Um, and so whether we're picking apart um, you know flawed social justice models or whether we're um, just saying like hey the world is broken it shouldn't be this way but but the prophetic voice isn't only critical right like it and i think andy you picked up on this briefly at the very beginning but there has to be an element of hope as well so like i mean what do we do with that and keeping it from being an imbalance mm. i think i think for me i'd like to i'd like to throw this uh to Dr.
0: Abernathy pretty quick, especially because you mentioned the part last time about uh, hope and critique. But I think for me, is sometimes ha- saying, saying the phrase like have hope or telling people to like, well, have hope. Remember that if you're going to critique heavy, then remember to like have hope. What I'm seeing is a a fatigue around that concept because things really do feel hopeless and things will feel particularly hopeless if you're outside of that justice righteousness balance we were talking about because honestly there is no hope outside of christ you know so if you if you don't if you're not tethered if you're not tethered to christ and you're trying to have these conversations i think the only plausible place that you can come to is one of despair in the depths you know so the hope is already irrational and so it's hard to get from that standpoint but it's also because sometimes it can feel manipulative to me it's kind of like when somebody's like well be grateful for what you have and it's like oh okay i I was just trying to critique this thing that is hard but it's true i do need to be grateful too doesn't really speak to the critique but thanks for telling me to have hope that's a problem that i see or or that's a challenge or obstacle that i see to like being able to keep things perfectly balanced as all things should be you know, that's, that kind of comes out for me.
2: Yeah. Hey, Steve, let me ask you this. So so sometimes we'll hear people in white circles say, I just have hope in the human spirit, you know, that we're going to be able to kind of humans are just amazingly resilient. We're going (laughs) to, we're we're going to the enlightenment.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Like
2: I I hear this sort of stuff and it's kind of a liberal sort of secular kind of hope of progress, right? Mm -hmm. That, that as we get enlightened, we're, we're going to get better, but I don't know that that works. And one of the sayings that that I've heard is like the prophetic promises point us to a person. They point us to the God who is behind the promises, Yeah, the God who will, make the crooked places straight the 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 god who will make a way in the desert the god who will come like a shepherd one day and gather his lambs into his arms you know so so i think that like this word of hope isn't just like let's just have a positive thinking session about no, how life yeah. is going to get better think positive thoughts you know it, right. it it's kind of all tethered to a person to a god who is making all things new in christ and that we're hopeful and that he'll mobilize his church and in his common grace be at work um to to make things right you um,
0: can't I, I think this is where we sort of get to it exclusive conversation when it comes to christ and and conversations of justice we're trying to think through solutions and it's going to be very hard on ourselves if a as i mentioned we're not uh tethering that hope to christ because otherwise i don't think you are going to have hope otherwise but if you're putting hope somewhere else it can't be anywhere else if you believe like you mentioned the 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 human spirit or just we're going to get it right or policy if you count on those things if you count on like for instance if you count on Uh, policy to really change things then you will find like we mentioned earlier with the 60s that we can change policy and we can and that doesn't mean your heart will change you know um so i just think that's really key in in how you're putting the spotlight on jesus it it has to be there and it has to we have to be convinced that that's the way it can't be like well jesus or whoever's gonna find me justice you know (laughs) Whoever's going to do it, I'm open. It's kind of like an auction. Whoever's got, whoever's got the solution, just tell me. We're going to pull it out. It's got to be convinced that it's here.
1: Well, I think that's as, as good a place as we could end uh, on a note of hope as we think about this uh, concept of the prophetic voice. Well, Dr. Abernathy, thank you again for joining us, man. It was great to talk to you and to hear uh, your perspective on these things. Um, It was certainly a blessing. So thanks brother. Yeah.
2: Thanks. Thanks so much for having me on guys. Really appreciated it. These conversations are great to have with friends and let's keep the conversation going. Join us on social media at Tesserai podcast or on Facebook or wherever you can find us. Did I get did I get it right was it